0: The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 655 for December 30th, 2018. Out with the old and in with the new. Here comes 2019. My name is Mickey Papalon. And I'm Joey Kapas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application. Available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, welcome to this last show, 2018, the last Sunday of the year. It's show 655, and throughout the last 12 months, we've brought you a show every single week, starting with show 604 back on January 7th, 2018. It's been an interesting year, uh, starting with... The FCC rolling back net neutrality regulations at the beginning of the year. Huawei's troubles were just kicking off in the here in the U.S. And, you know, those security issues known as Meltdown and Spectre, yeah, those were going on earlier this year as well. Uh, some of the other major stories that we talked about throughout the year were Android and iOS becoming the two-horse race. 99.9% of all smartphones sold worldwide uh, were running Android or iOS at the uh, beginning part of the year. Of course, here in the US, we had Sprint and T-Mobile announcing back in March that they would be merging after nearly six months of rumors that transaction planned to close in early 2019. And Broadcom attempted to purchase Qualcomm, and Qualcomm subsequent, subsequently announced that they had planned uh, to purchase and then dropped those plans to purchase China-based NXP. So a lot to ha- uh, going on during the year. Of course, uh, from a technology perspective, on the Apple side, we had new iPhones on the Android side. We had new hardware from everybody, as we do every year. So a lot of different things going on this year.
1: Right, and of course, Apple's now got the uh, the iPhone XR, which is kind of a new product uh, in their segment. Which is, you know, it's a big deal. Uh, reports are that it is not selling that great. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I wouldn't be surprised because you know, why spend uh, you know spend a couple hundred bucks more and get the you know the actual XS? Right, uh, that's kind of the thing with you've got the dual cameras, then with the the zoom lens. Um, you know, we don't have an iPhone SE replacement. Uh, there's recent rumors that an uh, an iPad mini may be coming uh, this this year, which, of course, would be great because they had a, a case leak, which that usually turns out to be pretty accurate, these case leak is, uh, leaks that we see. So that's actually kind of exciting because it gives me hope that an iPhone SE replacement will be coming as well, just because why not have a smaller segment uh, available still? Because... Some people can't handle these big phones. I do not like them. I had the iPhone 7 and I hated it uh, coming from the iPhone 6. So uh, I love my SE, and it's not the price of it, it's the size. Make it full price. I don't care. Put a big, you know, at least put a better camera in it um, because I want the smaller phone.
0: And this is a, a, a you know kind of a, a thought process that a lot of people have gone through, and and uh, you know as uh, we see these new devices that are coming out, and especially with the 10R, uh, you know where it's got the bigger footprint and it's the effective replacement of the plus size devices at the, at the cheaper price point, uh, although not that much cheaper, as you point out. Um, I do have uh, one person that I know, it's a family member that has one, uh, but pretty much across the board, everyone else who's upgrading devices is going for the larger, uh, or the, the more expensive uh, S model uh, of the iPhone. And so it, it's, I, I wouldn't uh, be, uh, be surprised at all uh, if they did come out with some pretty lackluster numbers for the R's uh, sales. Right, and of
1: course, we're not going to see that because uh, Apple has decided that they're no longer going to give you the numbers for iPhones, just because probably because of this trend where people are holding onto their phones longer. And of course, this price point is going to make it a little bit tougher to swallow. I see the price, and I can't even I I can't even tolerate that. Uh, You know, eleven hundred bucks basically for an iPhone that has two fifty six. It's expensive. Uh, it's uh, you know laptop price. Uh, you can get a really nice something or another for cheaper than that. And it's uh yeah uh, you know, like a, just yesterday I ordered a, a Dell copy a clone of a Surface Pro you know Surface Pro device and it was seven hundred bucks. I'm like okay I can get this great thing versus an iPhone and uh it it really kind of turns me off real quick on that so. I know it's kind of the the new order, and I do agree the iPhones are very nice pieces of hardware. But, of course, comparing that with laptops, it starts to become
0: a little harder to stomach. Well, a couple of things with that. So first off, you mentioned the uh, uh, you know not being able to understand what the the sales look like. Um, but through some analysis of of understanding the price per unit, um, you can start to get a better idea, especially because they'll talk about the number of units that were sold, and you've got price points now that are very, you know, kind of you know, specified um, at the, at the different levels. So I, I think what we should be looking for is depending on what the volume is, and we'll be able to determine if the the uh, the price uh, the sales price is going up. Uh, on on a per unit basis, and if that's the case, then I would imagine that the uh, the insinuation would then be that the the sales of the R uh, are lower than that of the S. But um, again, a lot of speculation will will of course ensue because of the fact that they won't announce it. But you can you could start to make some assumptions with that.
1: Absolutely, and of course, uh, you know this year, kind of on the Apple front, uh, re- announcing and releasing a new Mac Mini that was very exciting uh, because it has been since 2014 they've done any sort of update on the Mac Mini. And even physically, they hadn't updated since 2011. So that's a very long run in computer terms. And that was a, a, a very exciting that they finally have an announcement there and a release of a new Mac Mini, in addition to an updated uh, MacBook Air, which was also kind of unexpected because uh, they they hadn't updated that thing forever as well. And of course, now that's pretty much the the MacBook to get because MacBook Pros are uh, you know marginally better. The you know the 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 touch bar is kind of a gimmick. And of course, the price is very similar, too, because you can upgrade to a, a Mac Pro from a MacBook Air for only like 100 bucks. But the size and the weight of the MacBook Air are a little more uh, intriguing.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And uh, it is probably the, the next laptop if I choose to get another laptop that I would go with. Uh, and I say if I choose to go with, because I'm still trying to make a decision on whether or not it's an actual laptop that I want to go with next, or if I just move on to a desktop. Because frankly, uh, when it comes to what I use uh, my, I'll say, full computer devices for, it's not from a, it's not a portability thing, because that's what I've got the iPad for. And so ultimately, it, it, I might go back to a more desktop setup because there is no LTE connection in any of the Apple products at this point. Uh, should that ever change, it might change my mind and actually uh, potentially thinking make make me think a little bit different about how I use one of these products. Uh, and indeed, if it is uh, in fact going to be uh, then a, a an iPad replacement because of the full capabilities of the operating system.
1: Right, and of course, with the uh, you know the hotspot connection thing, it's not too bad with Apple to to build the LTE connection between your iPad or your iPhone. So it's not terrible that it doesn't have it, but it does seem silly that they don't have that option available. Uh, with that because it, it, it really does make it much easier when you can just open the device and run with it.
0: All Right. And I love the idea of having everything always up to date and whatnot, which you don't, of course, have uh, with a full computer either. So uh, different things, uh, you know, to understand and and contemplate with that. Um, You know, on the back to the phone side, as we think about how people are purchasing devices, uh, things are changing, as uh, you point out, with the longevity of how long a device can last. And up until this point, you know, most uh, consumers look at a device as a two year device, maybe three year, depending on uh, your kind of your the way that you you deal with them uh things are kind of separating here and going one of two ways two years is really not the uh the the length of time you're hanging on to these things anymore you're going either one of two ways you're going with the uh you're, you're renting the device or leasing this device and every year you've got an upgrade and so you're paying whatever it is 40 bucks or 50 bucks a month to have this device and every year you trade it in and you get the new one or you're either buying it outright or paying for it over time and then once it's paid for then you're hanging on to it and keeping it for an extended period of time after that because it's still a very good device and especially when you're spending uh the amount of money that you mentioned here 700 800 1100 or more uh you want to uh, get as much out of it as you can and the, the devices are still functioning just fine i mean your iPhone SE is still um you know it functions as it should the iPhone 6s still functions as it should as long as the battery is in good shape and uh, you know you take care of it Uh, it's it's going to last you for an extended period of time so uh, it doesn't mean that you have to go out and buy a new phone every two years like it once did and so there are some other uh, factors at play there for not only the technology costing more the design obviously costing more to create but Ultimately, the uh, you know having this device longer, uh, they're trying to do what they can to maximize uh, that revenue stream. So, uh, you know, that's on the Apple side. You move to the Android side, and and the the story is pretty much uh, you know the same. You know, devices are kind of at this thousand dollar average price point for flagship devices. Certainly, you've got a lot more options when it comes to lower price devices, mid range options, if you will, uh, from from the Android side. But that doesn't mean that uh, they are any less uh, or more compromised than what you get on the Apple side it's just th- that's what you get you've got more options um so uh the uh, you know the, the device selection though is something that continues to uh, be something that you've got to make a decision on where you're if, if you're looking for something that is the highest end that you can possibly get uh, obviously you know what you're going to get but if you're somewhere down in that kind of that middle market from a device perspective um, then you've got a ton of different options and as we talk about how we finish this year we move into 2019 uh, with a narrative that I think is going to be pretty similar to what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks which is 5g and how this technology is going to lead us into the next decade of mobile technology. We've got a number of different topics that we want to talk about today, but let's kick it off with just a little bit of discussion around 5G. So uh, we talked last week about how AT&T is going to be using what they're calling 5G evolution or 5GE to help to bridge that gap from 4G and LTE over to 5G and how that ultimately gets marketed. So Um, what we're going to see though is some actual legitimate 5g networks that will be gaining traction getting off the ground and people actively using them uh, you know in select cities Uh, the launch of LTE when Verizon did it back at the end of 2010 uh, was very much uh, in a kind of a you know we're going to go out and we're going to launch it in uh, three dozen cities they basically went and said any city that's got a uh an nfl team is where we're going to have uh, our service in place and expanded it from there and it took some of the other carriers you know a few months to kind of hop on and get their their expansion underway uh, but if you think about that it's now december 2018 so for the last eight years we've been talking about lte and uh you know and for, I i would say a good you know four of those years half that time if you remember on the shows we would always talk about lte expansion in this area lte expansion Uh, in this market, et cetera. Uh, And that's what it's going to be like for the next three to four years is we're going to have 5G expansions that are going to go uh, to to happen around the country with the different carriers. And so we'll talk about those as we go. But what you're going to find, too, is uh, the discussion is going to be around two different types of 5G. So I'm going to call it the 5G service that's going to be available and usable by mobile devices. And then the, the millimeter wave spectrum, this other spectrum that 5G will be taking advantage of, that's going to be really better utilized for fixed um devices such as um, you know IOt uh, using it for an in-home uh, replacement uh, and also in areas where you can have just a lot of different hotspots uh, like a stadium or a concert venue or whatnot and being able to put those uh, those access points closer together is going to allow the millimeter wave technologies to work a little bit better. But don't expect to have a tower uh, with something that's in the the you know tens of gigahertz range uh, and being able to cover an area that's, uh, that you know, especially indoors. Uh, this is going to be something that's very specific, point to point. It's not going to penetrate uh, at all like what the other technologies have in the past. And so it's going to be, there, there's going to be a lot more technical discussion around how 5G gets implemented and how this this rollout happens you've got a lot of municipalities that are trying to figure it out too when you look at how towers are how they go up today uh you know you've got certain areas they could zone to allow this stuff to happen uh other you know air er- municipalities have gone and said we're going to put in towers and lights, and we're going to put in uh, different, you know, smaller cells and whatnot. But that's not the norm. That's the exception. And so it, it's going to but it's going to take that, you know, uh, kind of deployment in order to make this stuff work uh, as best as we can. So a lot more in 5G. And I would imagine as we talk about CES coming up starting next weekend that we're going to see a lot of stuff coming out of that as well.
1: And we've got some of these unlicensed bands. If you look at what Comcast has done with their, you know, Xfinity uh, Wi-Fi hotspots, that you basically get coverage wherever you go because they've plopped those things on every single business and consumers. Uh, home and you basically create a mesh network using you know unlicensed uh, spectrum and of course there are a bunch of new spectrums that are unlicensed that are they're allowing to use for LTE and other deployments now and I think that's probably going to be another uh, attempt at uh, getting a, a network out there on a kind of an easier basis where they maybe start deploying boxes or or you know a deal Verizon does a deal with with uh, Comcast to get. Um, uh, you know, millimeter wave or other spectrum for cellular onto those uh home Wi Fi boxes,
0: and it's interesting because you think about how you know how that unlicensed spectrum is is used today, um, where with Wi Fi, uh, and um, you know, the this is a similar way that 5G is going to be deployed, it's you've got a, a lot more nodes, uh, that are deployed all over the place, and that's how you provide. Uh, the bandwidth that's uh, necessary uh, to to run different things, and you know, it's interesting is we talk about uh, this this move to five G. Um, in many ways, uh, I feel like it's premature. Uh, if we look at how you know land based networks um, have evolved, we've got uh, fiber networks in in many locations that are offering speeds that are in the hundreds or even up to a gigabit. Uh, per second in speeds, uh, my home network happens to be. Uh, I've got a gigabit up and down, which is uh, super interesting. And the here's the good and the bad with that. Uh, when I'm wired in and doing stuff on a computer like I do for the podcast, it's great. I get full, uh, th- you know, throughput uh, up to. It, I think the. Uh, speed test the max i've seen is something like 900 megabits per second or something like that which is crazy absolutely crazy uh but you get on wi-fi and even when you're sitting next to the router uh the fastest i'm, I'm able to see is like 500 uh, megabits per second which of course no slouch i mean that's fantastic but uh you talk about the the overhead that's necessary for those types of technologies and you know we're we're looking at kind of next generation wi-fi networks and um, how about we start to, you know, perfect those things before we move on to five G networks, and especially when you think about when you're out and about and you're using four G and uh, you do a speed test and you see. Five megabits, ten megabits, even twenty megabits per second—that still feels like the norm. And again, when you're at twenty megs or you know thirty megs, it, it's it's working pretty well, and, and it feels you know um, sufficient for what it is that you need to do. However, it, there's still a lot more bandwidth in LTE uh, to to be utilized there. And if you look at some of the the newer technologies that. Of course, as we've talked about with AT&T calling it the evolution to 5G, when you're talking about multi-hundred uh, megabit per second connections that are still possible over 4G, uh, we still have some runway there, some, some, some literal bandwidth to go before 4G has been fully taken advantage of.
1: Right. And of course, we run into this situation every time where, okay, so there's a lot of marketing garbage that it, it's confusing the issue and confusing the technology behind the scenes. Then there's the actual technology, which they always overstate the capabilities and what, oh, we're going to get this gigabits per second. We're going to get these megabits per second. I mean, look at, you know, uh, EVDO. Oh, yeah, we're going to get, you know, 10, 15 megabits per second. I mean, you're lucky if you ever got, you know, 500 kilobits per second with EVDO. Uh, I mean, every once in a while, you'd see something in a megabit range, but uh, that was kind of a joke in comparison. And then, of course, uh, Tower Backhaul, which we ran into a lot with the LTE deployment, they weren't prepared to have... Uh, you know, the people that were on the towers connected with the LTE uh, to even get anywhere because you couldn't get a speed test even done because there was no data available to the tower, even though you had a good connection to the tower. So it, these same issues are going to come around again as they uh, increase this uh, capacity and, of course, the the confusion of the marketing and, and the, of course, now uh, I, I don't like to see that we're going to be diverging again with devices because the different carriers have chosen different technologies to kind of go with. So now all of a sudden we're going to be like, well, are there going to be 50 models of iPhones to support every different LTE band and carrier?
0: And in addition to all the 5G technologies now, uh, you know, what's going to happen? Yeah. And that, that's actually bringing up, brings up another good point, which is the frequency of the band that you use um, is is vital. Uh, it's it's so important to the service that you get um, and, and just how it the device performs for you. Uh, had a had a recent experience um, that I want to talk about with that, uh, and this will help to kind of accentuate this point. So um, I think I had mentioned that um, in in the past that I've seen um, some increased capabilities and speeds and performance uh, from the new uh, the new band uh, that is being used by T Mobile. This new 600 megahertz band that they've deployed some of their LTE service on, and uh, what I have found is. In uh, especially certain areas, areas that um, are dense, uh, densely populated, uh, that have a, a, the need for a lot of indoor coverage, so like cities, um, this is a game changer for a network uh, like T-Mobile. Uh, so I've got two devices uh, that are virtually the same in every respect, with the exception of this particular band and uh, the 600 megahertz band. And that's the iPhone 10 and the iPhone XS. Um, and spent a couple of days uh, this past week in the Philadelphia area and across the board almost uh i would say that uh the the experience the speeds uh, the connection uh signal strength etc of a device with that new band um, are, are vastly superior to one that doesn't have it. And so I noticed that when I, we were indoors, uh, when we were in areas that were subterranean, uh, in the hotels, um, driving around, uh, you know, because I had used my device for most of the navigation. Uh, my wife's device was being used for uh, music playback and whatnot. And there were a number of of times where she would drop down to one bar and I was at full signal strength uh, and I almost guarantee that it was because of the different bands. And so uh, this is going to be something that, as you point out, if you've got different devices with different bands and as we continue this evolution quickly, uh, you're going to see kind of these these older devices that are not going to be able to take advantage of uh, the, the new networks that have been deployed.
1: Right, and of course, uh, y- you know, your uh, experience there is exactly uh, analogous to the Verizon launching the XLTE on the 1700, where they, it, you know, flip flop because they started with 700, but you'd get into denser areas, and you'd just run out of capacity, and of course, the spectrum was uh, saturated, so they launched seventeen hundred. And then you could easily get, you know, 50 megabit per second uh, speed test when they launched that network.
0: Yeah. And I remember, too, then, uh, you know, that helped uh, all devices because then it started to offload, uh, you know, every single device off of seven that was on 700 because there's a new ones came out then I could jump on 17. And uh, recently I was playing around with uh, an old USB stick that I had. And um, it, it was it was interesting to see that that the speeds on 700 now because the device was it was that old. It was from 2010. Uh, that was only operational on 700 are actually pretty decent. Um, you know, it was in the 20 to 30 megabit per range uh, because you know everybody, not everybody, is on that network anymore. So um, it is uh, it is very interesting how. kind of that concept is going to propagate itself once again as we see all right you've got a 5g device and it's operating on this band or these two bands but then uh, as all the devices start to jump on there and it starts to saturate that uh, spectrum then we need to add more and we'll just go back through what we did from uh, almost a decade ago so Just keep that in mind, too, as we go in uh, to kind of the next, uh, you know, world of things here. Uh, The other piece is if you're buying new devices now, uh, you are going to be kind of at the end of this generation, uh, you know, and you're going if you're planning to buy something now and hang on to it for a couple of years, uh, just understand that you're going to it's not like LTE is going away, but you're not going to be able to take advantage of 5G. These things are not going to be upgradable. You can't buy a phone and expect a software update to come out that's going to, to add 5G in the future that's a hardware thing Um, the other side of that is um, that might be a reason to hold off on buying something if you want to get in on the ground floor of a new generation of technology and uh, we've talked about you know a number of devices that have been at least announced and at some at some point here in the near future uh, are going to be available for sale uh, but they are going to be very limited because they are that first generation and they have that first 5g generation in them so um, keep that just kind of keep that in mind as you as you think about what you're going to be doing as we move into this this next world. A couple other topics uh, just to kind of chat about that are kind of interesting. So let's go back to uh, Apple for just a second and let's talk briefly about Face ID and what Face ID has done for their line of products. And specifically, what it has kind of taken away from an experiential perspective. So, if you've been using an iPhone uh, since the iPhone 10, uh, and any new device that you've bought this year, you've understood that Face ID is how you're going to be unlocking it. The new iPads, on the other hand, are uh, in a very different uh, kind of realm, where these are devices that have been, um, you know, used uh, in a very specific way, uh, which is with the thumb, you know, print uh, th- fingerprint reader uh, in the screen of the device. Uh, up until this recent line that just got released of the iPad Pros, and uh, that experience for people who have not used this service in the past has, uh, you know, has has been a new one. So Joey, I, let's talk through this a little bit. I was very excited to see Face ID come in uh, with the iPad, and uh, I have uh, I use my iPad basically as a laptop replacement, so I use it with a keyboard, and uh, the the device is generally on a desk and I'm able to, it's kind of in the same position all the time, and so I don't generally have a lot of issues, and I have a fairly consistent experience with Face ID. Right, and I can see how that could happen if
1: you're using the device, sitting on a table, looking straight on at the right exact angle, at the right exact distance every time you uh, uh, turn the thing on. But this experience, I'd call it, with Face ID is so frustrating, I'm angry at it half the time because... Well, and it's more than half the time because I I can't tell when it's trying to activate, what it's trying to do, what its field of vision is. Half the time it says the camera's covered and it is not at all even close to being covered. Of course, half the time it is covered with my finger. And the other time it it sometimes pops up with a passcode, sometimes pops up with a, uh, it just shakes. I, I don't know what's going on. Give me some feedback, make it consistent. It is dumb, dumb, and dumber, this uh, Face ID on the iPad. And I can see on the phone how it works fine because you, you you pick up the phone, you look at the phone. That makes sense to me. But this uh, iPad thing, uh, throw it back to the drawing board or get rid of it and bring back the Touch ID if this is if this is what uh, it's going to be like. Unless they start improving the UI for it where you can actually see what it's trying to see or what, what's confusing it or, or give me some feedback... I have programmed alternate faces to try to help uh, make it work better. Because, um, you know, I'm not always using the thing sitting on a table. I'm using it in different angles and different spots all the time. And it just it just gets in the way way more than it, it, it it's necessary. And, of course, then it's frustrating because now in iOS 12, every website you go to that has a password on it, it needs to use Face ID to unlock. But then it, it it's inconsistent and takes me... 40 seconds to get into any website because I can't just put my finger on the touch ID to get the password now.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting part too, is I, you know, I kind of enjoy the, uh, the ability to just drop in any of the, um, uh, you know, passwords with, you know, looking at the device. Um, and, and generally I find that that's, that works really well. The other thing that, um, you're from your experience that you're talking about here, um, you uh, are using it kind of as a a typical tablet, which is it's not powered on all the time. I mean, you're you're turning it on and off all the time as you're, you know, moving it around and whatnot. Um, And mine is generally, um, you know, on for the, I think my average screen time especially during the week the work week is something like 11 hours a day so the thing is on basically virtually non-stop from the time I wake up uh, with the exception of when I'm taking it around from place to place so uh, the number of times that I'm using face ID is probably you know uh, in the or the round uh, 10, maybe 20 on the thing at most uh, versus the phone, which is something in the neighborhood of, you know, like 50 to 100 times a day. I'm not exactly sure. But, um, you know, you're, so you're talking about a very different, or I have a very different experience with it. And I'm thinking you're probably using it more uh, again, like on and off, on and off, and that I, I can absolutely see as being a problem uh, with how your experience is.
1: Yeah, I do, and of course it's a, you know at different angles and different you know positions, and, and it just it, it it's so inconsistent and frustrating. And of course sometimes it does work. I know the way it's supposed to work. Literally, I, I'm I, a website pops up with a password request. The face ID pops up as fast as it can pop up, saying face ID. It goes away and it's unlocked and it's in there. I know that's the way it's supposed to work, but that is literally maybe 4% of the time that it works the way it's supposed to work. And uh, I, I've got to try turning off the uh, a, a attention thing uh, to look at it. To, it requires attention setting to see if that makes it any better. Uh, I'm, 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 I'll see how that goes. I'm going to try that.
0: Yeah, there are there are a few different things, obviously, that you can do. You have said you've redone the faces or you've added all alternative faces, which should Uh, potentially help you but um you know i think there's um you know there there are there is some room for improvement i guess is a better way to put it um and, and trying to understand you know what this uh you know what this technology is going to be best utilized for you know does a new device maybe have multiple cameras uh one on either side so that it understands if one is blocked it can use the other one as an example uh and whatnot so lots of different uh lots of different potential issues with this here uh, but definitely an interesting one. I, I personally have uh, enjoyed going to face ID and having the bigger screen and not having uh, the, uh, the, the fingerprint reader on there. but do understand uh, where this uh, you know is a, is an issue. Uh, it is the holidays so let's briefly talk about uh, any technology uh, that we got for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever other holiday you' may be celebrating uh, there are a lot of different uh, things that uh, you know usually go on sale this time of year uh, but I'm not somebody who generally buys stuff then but I did get a couple of interesting things uh, for uh, for the Christmas holiday I got a new watch band for the Apple watch which I had been looking forward to uh, for a long time and so I was happy to get that um, and I went with the product red watch band which is something that um, I've never done which has had any color uh in a watch band before so um i i was a black watch band guy with the original uh apple watch and then i went to the silver uh with the new silver and so that's obviously not all that exciting either so now i've got some a splash of color on my wrist and i kind of like it so i like that Um, Also, uh, I got uh, an Apple gift card, which was a good reminder of if you happen to be looking for a way to save a little bit of money on uh, Apple services uh, or products, you can uh, check out some deals that are out there generally around the holiday season where you can buy Apple gift cards at a 15% discount, uh, which is obviously a nice thing to do uh, where you can buy them generally at like the $100 level uh, for only $85, which is a good way to get a discount on some of your recurring service and subscriptions that you have.
1: Right. So watch nine to five toys. And these come up uh, usually around every month or every two months. Uh, PayPal has these, you know, $100 electronic delivery gift cards for 85 bucks for $100 value. So what happens is if you have that loaded in your iTunes account, if you have the um, uh, an iCloud subscription like I do, I've got the two terabyte plan and that $10 a month actually then becomes $8.50 a month. Uh, if you buy these cards. And of course, then if you buy movies or music or anything, then it's of course 15% off. So it's a good way to to uh, save some money there. Uh, and it definitely adds up over time.
0: Yeah, it certainly does. And obviously, I, I, I love, uh, you know, not having to think about all those individual credit card charges either. And I know that I'm going to have, uh, you know, all of these uh, things that are going to hit my account. And so I don't actually mind having a little bit of cash uh, sitting in there because I know it's going to be good. And especially if you can get a discount on it and add those add that value to it, uh, you know, and, and save some money, it makes a lot of sense.
1: It does. So for me, I got a, uh, and I kind of ordered this myself, I, I purchased a kind of a, a, a goofy uh, Borescope camera. It uses Wi-Fi, so it connects to the Wi-Fi. You've got an app that you load on your phone, and it's got little LEDs and this little teeny, you know, less than a quarter of an inch camera uh, that's on a kind of a gooseneck. It's like three meters long um, that you can then, you know, stick this thing into you know, holes in the wall and, and and little tiny crevices that I'm usually trying to stick my phone into to see what's going on if I'm running a cable somewhere. Um, And this little thing you know it's like 20 bucks and it's amazing comes with even a little hook and a little magnet option to screw on the end Uh, pretty exciting uh, goofy little thing but you know something like this would have cost
0: thousands of dollars you know a few years ago and uh, connects over Wi-Fi so doesn't have to be physically connected to the phone obviously a, a nice thing to have. Uh, one other thing I got was a uh, a chi charger for uh, my car, which I was uh, I, uh, disproportionately excited about when I think about what this thing actually does, which is obviously you just you know set the the charger, you know your phone on the charger and it charges it. but um wow, yeah, I know, right? Uh, but uh, and it's not like it's actually hard plugging in a cable, but you know this is the whole point of uh, you know this technology is is making it a, a, a more seamless experience uh, you know for for what it is that you need. so, um, I, I just get in the car now and I put the, put the phone down on the charger and it charge, starts charging the thing and it's in the kind of the center console. And so I don't even have to think about it. I'm going to invent Qi
1: charging pants. So you stick your phone in your pocket and there's a charging coil on the backside of your pants pocket and it'll charge your phone.
0: It's actually not that bad of an idea other than the, the batteries that you have to keep in the pants, uh, and, and how that, uh, interacts with washing. Uh, but I, I do like that, where you can put your phone in your pants and it'll charge it. Uh, anyway, lots of uh, lots of stuff to talk about, uh, you know, and lots of uh, th- things this time of year that are are kind of fun. Hopefully, you've enjoyed spending time uh, with uh, your family and your friends. Uh, and whatnot as we've gone through this holiday season. Uh, Before we get out of here, we do have one comment, uh, and it comes to us from Les. And he says, let me title this comment, Here We Go Again. Uh, I've enjoyed your comments about AT&T calling their fastest LTE, the 5G-E, and calling the real uh, new 5G network, 5G+. plus. Uh, you recall that eight years ago, T-Mobile and AT&T had called their HSPA Plus upgrades 4G. Uh, they were both behind Verizon with 4G LTE installation. Their ads compared 4G penetration never LTE for a few years. About that time, I learned that there were certain ham radio applications for Android that I couldn't get for my iPhone. So I bought a 3G Alcatel phone packaged for T-Mobile at a at, for $40 at a discount department store. The inexpensive plan offered with the phone promised unlimited 3G data. The secret was there was no 3G data. They had redesignated it as 4G, which this plan throttled past some small amount. It didn't matter, though, because I used Wi-Fi at home for the applications and satisfied my curiosity about their coverage when I traveled. Uh, It was better than I thought, but my real phone is still on another carrier Less. I love that gimmick
1: there. Let's get rid of the 4G. Call it unlimited 3G, but then there is no 3G. That's, uh, that's r- great trickery, right?
0: It is. But, uh, you know, interesting, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, last you know, all of this stuff kind of coming back around. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of this kind of marketing, uh, you know, d- mumbo jumbo, if you will, or the the, the semantics of it are going to be different, uh, you know, depending on the carrier. And obviously, they're all going to be trying to sell uh, their networks. And, you know, the consumer is not going to be thinking about it uh, other than saying, well, somebody else has got 5G. Why does my carrier not have 5G? And so they're all going to have to come up with some way to be selling uh, this network. And uh, you can bet that there's going to be um, there's going to be a lot of back and forth, uh, you know, and uh, so-called carrier, uh, you know, uh, name dropping, if you will, uh, on, on what's happening with it. But uh, thanks very much, Les. For writing in, and with that, uh, we'll conclude the show. We'll conclude the year. We'll be back in 2019. Can't wait for it to be talking about all the great things that uh, we'll be chatting about then. Of course, the uh, you know the CES uh, show will be starting. The Consumer Electronic Show will be starting uh, next weekend, and so we've got a lot of uh, you know pr- you know prospective things that we've been thinking about and seeing as it's been uh, coming up to the announcement. Keeping in mind, a lot of new hardware gets announced on the carriers uh or, excuse me by the manufacturers on their own schedules now it's not all about CES but a lot of stuff happening. Neither Joey or I are going this year. We haven't in a couple, uh, but we'll be covering it all on the show as it comes up. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the com.